Starcourt Study Hall contains spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And this is Starcourt Study Hall. Welcome back to Starcourt Study Hall, everybody. This week we are doing something a little different. So this is going to be one of our Just the Facts episodes. And this week we are talking about LGBTQ rights, especially in the 80s. So we thought that since season three kind of gives our first openly gay character, Robin, a little bit of a spotlight, it was important to talk about LGBTQ rights and what life might have been like for a gay youth back then. And we're specifically going to talk about the 80s, but we are going to start out a little further back, focus in on the 80s a bit, and then talk about today. So we definitely thought this was important to talk about, not only so we could understand, you know, how far we've come and recognize who got us here, but it also helps us understand more about Robin and later Will, and it it might help us understand what they might be going through and the significance, especially in their time of being open and out about their sexuality. So before we get into anything, I wanted to give a serious content warning about this episode. This likely will be our heaviest and most serious episode that we've done so far. I will be talking about some really difficult topics such as police brutality, the AIDS epidemic, violent hate crimes, and systemic oppression of LGBT people throughout history, including today. So just wanted to make you aware of that before we move forward. Another thing I did want to mention is that there will be some language used in this episode that is no longer considered to be proper terminology. I'm not talking about slurs, that is not going to be happening in this episode, but terms that may be considered offensive today despite being part of normal vernacular back then, and these terms will always be used in quotes or in reference to a specific title. And one more disclaimer. I will be talking about politics fairly heavily in this episode. I don't personally believe LGBTQ rights are political. They're just common sense human rights, you know, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, But unfortunately, conservatives in this country are hellbent on stripping away everyone's most basic human freedoms and sleeping in all of our beds with us. So unfortunately, we do need to talk about it in that context. And I plan to make no secret of my personal beliefs. And I sincerely hope that anyone who disagrees just stops listening to our podcast. Thanks. Okay, so just for a little bit of info on my background on this topic, I have been interested in LGBT rights for as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. I got told by a family member at the age of 14 or 15 that I was going straight to hell, and I've worn that as a badge of honor ever since. Go Um, on hell. Love that. See you there, hon. Also, as far as like scholarly research on this topic, I actually did do my graduate school thesis, which was a 75-page research paper on transgender college students and Beautiful. best practices to help them succeed. So it is something I have studied pretty extensively in the past. And just like our Women in the Workplace episode, we are going to be focusing solely on the United States because yeah. talking about the entire world is just way too broad. Too many people. Far too many. Okay, and then the format today is going to be to break down our history and timeline into three parts. We're going to talk about pre-80s, 80s, 80s, and then 90s through today. 
then each mini timeline will talk about legislation and events that occurred during that time. And then we will talk about public perceptions and attitudes of LGBTQ people during that time. Okay. So I'm let's ready. get into it. Marina's ready. Hope you are I'm too. ready. Yeah. All right. So we're going to start out in the 50s. That's as far back as we're starting today because before that, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about, to be honest, because LGBT stuff was not really talked about. It was right. considered taboo. Mm-hmm. So, in 1952, the American Psychiatric Association, a.k.a. the APA, lists homosexuality as a sociopathic personality disturbance in its first publication of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, otherwise known as the DSM. So, starting out strong. with Pretty strong uh, there. Yeah, with this uh, absolutely horrible idea that being gay belongs in the DSM. Then in January 1962, Illinois repealed sodomy laws yeah that's right sodomy was illegal in in, 1962 in the 60s come on now in illinois illinois and it became the first u.s state to decriminalize homosexuality i mean that's kind of you know as a result so yeah wild right we're again starting out strong i'm sorry you can't see my face because (laughs) this is not a visual medium but (laughs) (laughs) but marina is shocked okay then in april 1966 Members of the Madashin Society in New York City stage a quote-unquote sip-in, so instead of a sit-in, at the, okay. Juli- at the Julius Bar in Greenwich Village, where the New York Liquor Authority prohibited serving gay patrons in bars on the basis that LGBT patrons are disorderly. Just in general. Yes. So then that brings us to something you may have heard of. On June 28th, 1969, Stonewall. So this is a word you may have heard before. You might have heard it referred to as the Stonewall riots, the Stonewall Mm -hmm. protests, Stonewall uprising. It has lots of names. So we're going to take a quick diversion to talk about this event because it was a major event in LGBT civil rights. So due to restrictions on serving LGBT patrons, like I discussed in the previous point, many of New York City's gay-friendly bars were owned by the mafia. Due to wow. this, I know. Who knew? The mafia I wouldn't said expect that. gay rights. I don't think it was really about gay rights. Definitely mo- not. It was definitely about <laughs> making preying money. on a population that needs yeah. somewhere to go. Yep. So due to this, they were often subject to police raids. But these raids were twofold. The first part is, you know, it was owned by the mafia. And mm-hmm. the second part is they knew that LGBT patrons were, you know, patronizing these locations. Right. So on June 28th, 1969... The New York City police began a raid of the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village, New York City, that resulted in the arrest of 13 people for bootlegged alcohol and for violating New York's cross-dressing laws. I say that in quotes. So we were out of the prohibition by that time, mm-hmm. but many of these places were just operating without liquor licenses because Got it was it. too expensive. So Okay, thank you. Yeah. And then in terms of the quote-unquote cross-dressing laws, there were laws in New York City basically saying you had to dress in you know quote unquote the clothes of your assigned gender so sure which is like a slippery slope right because okay i go out wearing pants now what yes and in the 60s you know that was allowed women Mm -hmm. were allowed to wear pants so the phrase Um, allowed to wear pants yeah what (laughs) it just doesn't feel right i'm allowed to wear pants The community was absolutely fed up by the police harassment and brutality, and hundreds of people gathered on the street outside the bar, 
and eventually a full riot ensued. Many people even barricaded themselves inside the bar, which the mafia then attempted to set on fire. So when you say the community was fed up by the police harassment, are you referring specifically to the LGBT community or those in that neighborhood, that area? So from what I could find, it seemed like it was a little bit of both. Okay. It it was mostly the LGBT community, but I Mm -hmm. think people in Greenwich Village were also very fed up with the constant police raids and police presence and the brutality. So, um, yeah, they were they were over it. So the police essentially close in on this bar, riot ensues, and then the mafia sets the bar on fire. Yes, they they tried. Um, okay. Luckily, they they mostly failed. It did catch a little bit, but luckily nobody died. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody was seriously injured, so that's great. The fire department and the riot squad were able to save those inside and, of course, violently disperse the crowd, and mm. the fire department put out the fire. But protests continued, sometimes involving thousands of people for about five days after. So that's pretty cool. So, yeah, Stonewall is considered to be kind of the major kicking off of the LGBT civil rights movement. Seems like a breaking point. Yes, it was a major breaking point. Okay, so before we move on from Stonewall, I did want to take a little detour and talk about a really important figure in the LGBT civil rights movement, and that person is Marsha P. Johnson. So we're going to talk about her. So Marsha P. Johnson was a transgender LGBT rights activist born in 1945 in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Wow. Yes which is very close to us. By age 18, Marsha had moved to New York City, and this is the part where I am going to put this in quotes. Marsha referred to herself as a gay person, quote-unquote transvestite, and drag queen. The term transgender was not used popularly until after her death, but please note the above term is considered offensive by many, and as a brief sidebar, I will say that that term is considered offensive mostly because it implies more of the gender expression rather than feeling it inside Mm. because the word uh the root word vest is about dressing got it Uh, yeah so it it more refers to the the act of quote-unquote cross-dressing rather than entirely being transgender if that makes sense no that's a good distinction yeah so due to discrimination marcia struggled to find work throughout her adult life and she was a sex worker for most of her adult life which unfortunately did lead to abusive situations and homelessness for many years Marsha emerged as an LGBT rights leader during the Stonewall protests. So she continued to lead the LGBT community through protests, the very first Pride Parade, and many other movements throughout the years. So how old was she by the time? So like she was born in 1945 and then the the protest was 69, right? Yeah, so she was in what, her mid-late 20s? I can't do math. I'm so sorry. Hold on. Me either. I'm putting 1696. (laughs) minus 1945 so she was 24 wow so that's pretty amazing at the age Mm -hmm. of 24 to become like a community leader yeah so in 1970 one year after the stonewall protests Mm -hmm. marcia and another prominent activist named sylvia rivera founded street transvestite action revolutionary or star an organization focused on caring for and housing transgender and gay youth who had been shunned by their families It unfortunately did not stay open for very long, but its inception inspired the creation of many other organizations like it. There's a few that exist in New York City alone. I couldn't list them all, but there's many, many organizations like it out there. Mm -hmm. On July 6, 1992, at the age of only 46, Marsha was found dead in the Hudson River. 
Her cause of death was initially ruled a suicide, but in 2012, NYPD reopened her case, and it has still not been solved. Wow, that's eerie. I know. Yeah, many of her friends did not believe it was a suicide. They, you know, said that she never, ever seemed suicidal in any way. But yeah, the case has been reopened, and there's also a great documentary on Netflix called The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson, if you want to learn more. I like the concept that you mentioned, like, just just a little bit earlier about star mm-hmm. and, like, the reclaiming or the attempt to claim a word. Because yeah. you were just talking about, like, the use of the word transvestite and how, like, the context in which it was used. And it feels like, because this was the commonly used term at that time, this was sort of an attempt to claim it yeah right i do love that and like i think of two like rocky horror picture show sure you know they use that word um Mm -hmm. and i i feel like that was definitely an attempt to like reclaim that word much like the the lgbt community now has reclaimed the word queer a lot of people you know used it as a slur for many many Mm -hmm. years and now it's more of an umbrella term yeah good point yeah so Oh, and actually, I wanted to mention, if you've never looked up Marsha P. Johnson, YouTube videos of interviews with her are really great. She said a lot of really awesome things. She's got a lot of really fun sound bites, and she's amazing in interviews, and there there is a lot of video out there of her. So I highly suggest checking her out, and she is just always smiling, and everything you see, she wore colorful clothes and was just always happy. I feel like the photo is also really famous. Am I wrong? No, yeah. This, If you are aware of Marsha P. Johnson out there and you're listening to this, you probably know exactly the photo that Marina's looking at. Yeah, it's a really, really famous one. Yeah, we can get back to our timeline, but I wanted to mention Marsha P. Johnson because she was a super important figure in the movement. I just want to like point out too, I feel like not only was she a part of one community that was incredibly discriminated against, but she's also a person of color. Yes, that's important to mention. I actually did not mention that in my description of her. Yes, she mm-hmm. was a black woman. So, yeah. yeah, that's a really important thing to mention, too. So on June 28th, 1970, the one year anniversary of the Stonewall protests, New York City's first ever Pride Parade was held. Yay. So ever since then, June became Pride Month. Yeah. You know, after that, I, I didn't find exactly when that was, you know, made a thing, but as a result of Stonewall, Pride is always held in June, and June has become Pride Month. People don't know that. I know. I didn't know that before starting this, actually. I feel like that's so important because there's so much cynicism and discrimination surrounding the idea of Pride Month, and people don't understand why June and why Pride Month at all. Yeah, and, like, why it's necessary. Like, Mm -hmm. This isn't just like they all decided to have a parade one year. Like, no, it was it was the result of years and years of discrimination and the anniversary of an uprising. Yeah. In December 1973, the APA finally votes to remove homosexuality from the DSM. Okay, so what is that? 50 years ago? Uh, Yeah. So not that long ago. Not that long ago. Nope. Nope. Many of our parents were already adults. I mean, I think of my my mom, who would have been studying clinical psychology in, like, the 80s and 90s, and she would have been studying the DSM not long after this was removed. Right. I know. Wild. Absolutely. And and think about the professors that she was learning from. Mm Mm-hmm. Very true. Who they were taught that homosexuality was a mental disorder. Oh, that's some chilling context right there. Right? 
In January 1974, Kathy Kozachenko is elected as the first openly gay public official as a city council member in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's a pretty small public office, but Mm -hmm. um, worth mentioning because I think a lot of people believe that the person I'm going to mention next is the first openly gay public figure, but I wanted to mention Kathy because I think it's important that women don't get erased out of this. Sure, clear that up. Yeah. So then in 1977... Harvey Milk, who was an openly gay man, was elected to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. He led an initiative to end a ban on gay teachers in California. However, one year later, in 1978, he was assassinated. Yeah, there's a really famous movie about him, too. It's called Milk. I think I've heard of it. Yeah, I have not seen it, but it's supposed to be good. Speaking of, like, erased, the fact that these prominent figures rise up in this community and then are killed or mm-hmm. die and it's just like it is like it's like a razor like yeah it's like nope you've overstepped your boundary they're treated as like disposable yeah and, and a threat and yes and a threat and you know imagine kids growing up and coming to terms with the fact that they may be lgbt mm-hmm. but seeing this stuff happen they i would never come out nope yeah very scary So let's talk about our public perceptions and attitudes in society about LGBT people in this time frame. So according to a 2019 study done by Cornell University, public polling was around for about three decades before any surveys even mentioned homosexuality. So remember what I said in the beginning, why we were starting with the 50s? Yeah. Because being gay didn't exist before then, apparently. Clearly not. Yes. According to the data, did not exist. In 1965, Lewis Harris and Associates asked if homosexuals were more helpful or more harmful to American life, or don't they help or harm things much one way or the other? (laughs) What is that question? But 70% said more harmful. I just don't think that we can view any human being in this way. Right. What do you mean more helpful or harmful? Like, as a, as a person, like, because they're gay, like, what does that mean? Not every gay person is helpful or harmful to my life. It's just objectifying. That's kind of what it feels like. It's, it's yes. like, or it's talking about the community in, objectify is the only way I can put it. Yeah. Like, is Coca-Cola helping you or hurting you? Is right. Like, <laughs> our traffic law, like, these are objects, intangibles. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of, like. Well, yeah, it's right. It's like, inta- like, what does helpful or harmful even mean? That's very subjective. That and then, too. And then the other thing, I can't remember, like, if this is exactly right as far as, like, logical fallacies go, but it mm. feels like, like a false dichotomy, if I have that right. Like, basically, they're, they're making up these two categories, and these are the only two that they can fall into. A logical fallacy in which a spectrum of possible options is misrepresented as an either-or choice between two mutually exclusive things. So, so it is a false dichotomy. Is that? Is I that think so. Okay. I think yeah. Yeah. So they're basically framing it like they can only be helpful or harmful. There's only two options here. Right. Yeah. So that's a wild question. In 1977, Florida, our favorite Florida state, man. <laughs> tried to add sexual orientation to the list of reasons an employer could not discriminate against you okay florida the backlash to this was so intense 
that it set in motion the first comprehensive set of polling questions on public attitudes towards homosexuality with polls conducted by Time magazine, Roper, Gallup, and Lewis Harris. They found that Americans at the time were most evenly split between those who supported and rejected LGBT individuals. There are certain populations who will never know what it is like to be reduced to a polling question. Yeah, wow, yes. That's such a great point. Like, where's the polling questions that say, do you think that dying 80-something should maybe get out of the government? Where's that question? It's not there. It's not there. And it needs to be, by the way. That same year, a survey was put forth by Cornell University, and it was worded like this. In some states, legislation has been introduced guaranteeing the civil rights of homosexuals, that is, their right to hold any job or live any place they want, that is, the same rights as anyone else. If this bill were on your state ballot, would you vote for or against the bill? The absolute horror of a gay person getting to have a job. How dare they? So 56% of those surveyed said they were for it. So that's, you know, decent. Again, this was 1977. 35% said against. And nine said not sure. Haven't thought about it much. Haven't, no. Must ha- be nice. 9% feels like a, a significant amount to be not sure. So that's where we were in the late 70s. Okay. So let's move on to the 80s. So in July 1981, the New York Times printed an article about a rare respiratory and skin disease found in 41 gay men in New York and California that the CDC initially called GRID, which stood for Gay-Related Immune Deficiency Disorder. This name was later changed to AIDS. So in 1981, that was the first time AIDS was discovered, and it was found in 41 gay men in New York and California. And I can imagine the fact that AIDS spread amongst this community more so than other communities was weaponized. So in 1982, Wisconsin became the first state to outlaw discrimination based on orientation. Go Wisconsin. Okay, but like, just bringing it all back real quick here, 1982. 82! Yeah, like, this is when Stranger Things is taking place. Literally. Yeah. Robin is what, 14? Yeah, and you know, watching this happen in a nearby state, by the way, in Wisconsin, they were the first ones to outlaw discrimination based on orientation. Wild. And it's about to get wilder. In 1983, blood donation from men who have had sexual contact with other men in the past 12 months gets federally banned. Some states ban it altogether for men who have had sex with other men ever. This ban was not changed until 2020, when the deferral period was changed to three months in most cases. I just need to interject here and say, hmm, what was going on in 2020 where we needed blood really badly? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting that, you know, suddenly when there's a need, Mm. then, you know, oh, whoopsies, we forgot about this extremely discriminatory practice. Anyway, come donate blood. It's a different kind of like weapon too. Okay. So since we are in the 80s, we do need to touch upon the AIDS epidemic and talk about the impact that that had on the LGBT community. So AIDS, or Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome, is a late stage of the bloodborne human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV. So AIDS and HIV are essentially the same thing. AIDS is just the advanced stage of HIV. Got it. So remember how earlier I mentioned how the New York Times reported on AIDS in 1981? 
Well, AIDS did not appear again in the newspaper until 1983, and by that time, almost 600 people had already died from it. It was still highly stigmatized and not spoken about by public officials at all. People were afraid of this disease for two reasons. First, Mm -hmm. it was unclear how it transmitted. Many believed you could get it from shaking hands or even using the same toilet seat as somebody who had it. Secondly, homophobia obviously played a major role in people's apprehension and downright hateful behavior about it. I just want to say, to what extent were sexually transmitted diseases amongst heterosexual people treated like this? You know, it would have been wise for me to include that as kind of like a control to understand like where we were at. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. But and I mean, we can having just gone through a pandemic with an unknown disease. Mm hmm. We can understand a bit of the panic, right? Not so much the of course, not so much the moral panic part of it, but the you know the panic of not knowing how you get. I mean, we were lysoling our groceries. Yeah, I was like, do I have to put my broccoli outside? <laughs> Just let I it remember. air out. We do get it. We get right. the panic involved. Of course, yeah. When you don't know how this disease is transmitted, of course. So doctors in major medical journals even debated whether they had the moral obligation to treat people with AIDS. Parents refused to see their sick children, and faith communities called patients with HIV abominations. Wow. Yeah. In an October 1982 press conference, President Reagan's press secretary was being asked about the president's reaction to AIDS, which was then affecting about 600 people. When a member of the press said the disease was known as the quote-unquote gay plague, The press pool erupted in laughter. Rather than providing a substantive answer, the press secretary said, I don't have it, sparking more laughter. He then proceeded to question the member of the press multiple times if he had AIDS. It just sounds like a joke. Yep. Big joke. Big joke. And I gotta say, it it reminds me a bit of the absolute circus that surrounded a more recent president as well. Mm Mm-hmm. During Reagan's presidency, the only way the CDC ended up getting funding to research AIDS was to bundle it in a bill to provide funding for other diseases. After this passed, Reagan then made significant cuts to the CDC. Nice. Yeah. So it had to be like, like kind of Trojan horsed. Like, okay. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, in order to get around it, he made cuts. Since the government basically turned a blind eye to thousands of its citizens dying, community leaders began stepping up to the plate. One such effort came in 1981 when author, essayist, and playwright Larry Kramer founded the Gay Men's Health Crisis, the first service organization set up to support HIV-positive people. So that's great that our community leaders are stepping up. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. the government won't do that. In 1985, the CDC was finally able to present a plan to halt the spread of AIDS, and it was rejected by the federal government. I'm actually kind of amazed, and I mean, who's to say what we're going to get in season five, but there hasn't really been anything alluding to the AIDS crisis in Stranger True. Things, and it was at its peak. Right. Like, like yeah, when the show was happening, it was at its yep. peak. I mean, you know, they they were in an insulated small town, so I'm guessing it didn't affect them quite as much out there. But, like, the Wheelers have the Reagan sign right. on their front lawn. Right. And, and Claudia Henderson has, she had the opposing candidate sign on her lawn, so you can't tell me she didn't have opinions about this. Yeah, it's actually kind of wild that it hasn't come up. Maybe the Duffers felt that it was, like, too sensitive to, mm. to you know, include in the show, perhaps. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Reagan finally mentioned AIDS, mentioned publicly, 
In September of 1985, on the same day, his close personal friend and actor, Rock Hudson, died of AIDS. Because as we know, things only matter when they affect you personally. Totally coincidentally, on October 2nd, 1985, you know, the next month, Congress allocated nearly $190 million for AIDS research, 70 million more than they requested. I'm having like thoughts. Good and bad. You know, great that they got the funding, but of course it always takes someone being affected personally. Then in 1987, the federal government finally formed awareness and prevention coalitions. By this time, 47,000 people had been infected with HIV. Wow. Yeah. Later that same year, Princess Diana was photographed shaking the hand of an HIV patient in London, which basically yeah. broke the internet. Yeah. <laughs> of, 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 of 1987. 1987. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't exist. But uh, if she could have broken the internet, she would have, because uh, this was a huge deal to shake the hand of an HIV patient with no gloves on. It's so Jesus with the man who had leprosy in the Bible. And then in 1988, the World Health Organization declared the first World AIDS Day to raise awareness, which is still recognized today. So yeah, that's that's a bit about the AIDS crisis um, in the 80s. And that really, really informed the public perceptions and attitudes. I'm having like a thought about the larger picture mm-hmm. of the show and all of this happening congruently but no direct references being made to it but also taking into account some of the themes of this show and how they could mm. be metaphorical for the AIDS epidemic interesting how so oh I have goosebumps <laughs> well just like the spread of a virus that mm nobody can control when you had mentioned almost like a a public like outcry or an uprising i kind of imagine the townspeople of hawkins's response in season four like i don't know i'm getting some weird parallels Mm -hmm. rather than addressing the epidemic directly it feels that there could be a little bit of a metaphorical thing happening here yeah yeah perhaps and honestly like Yeah, like I said, I feel like they might feel it's too sensitive, but Mm -hmm. having two gay characters in the show, it feels like an omission. That's what I mean. Yeah. And it's literally, the timeline is exact. I know. And, you know, if they haven't mentioned it by now, they're not gonna because it Mm -hmm. seems irrelevant to season five. Yeah, very interesting that it's never really been even really indirectly mentioned, but you might be right. I don't know. Okay, so on to our public perceptions and attitudes. So, of course, unfortunately, the AIDS epidemic did have a mostly negative effect on the public's perception of the LGBT community. 58% in a 1989 Gallup poll said the AIDS epidemic hadn't changed their opinions on homosexuality, and 33% said it changed their opinions for the worse. So, that first figure feels promising, but we don't know what their opinions were to begin with. Yeah, fair. Yeah. In Los Angeles County alone, 86 hate crimes based on sexual orientation were documented in 1989, which was a 41% increase from the previous year. Throughout 1988 and 89, violent crimes accounted for two-thirds of the documented crimes against LGBT people. In a 1986 New York Times article, it was stated that in a survey of 2,074 gay and lesbian men and women, it was found that 1 in 10 lesbian women and 1 in 5 gay men had reported being physically assaulted in their lifetime due to their sexuality. One Holy in shit. five, right? I mean, one in ten is huge, too, but one in five. One in five is... 
yeah, pretty wild. And and I have to make a sidebar here and a note that most of the research and data from before like the 2000s really does not include transgender people at all. Mm-hmm. Fair. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so if you'll notice, it's all very gendered language. It's all very gay and lesbian. And that's really mm-hmm. it. So unfortunately, we don't have a ton of data for transgender people at the time, but we'll get a little more as we go along. The New York City Gay and Lesbian Anti-Violence Project reported that they had counted 351 incidents of violence or harassment against LGBT individuals in the first nine months of 1986, and 17 of those were homicides. In the first nine months. Of 1986. Yes, and that's just in New York City. This article also stated that some surveys suggested that up to 90% of sexual orientation-related hate crimes went unreported. 90%. And... This is likely because of, you know, of course, stigma, but also because a lot of states didn't even have sexual orientation listed as a reason for a hate crime. Mm-hmm. So who are they going to report it to? The police wouldn't right. even care. Yeah, it's not even an option. Right. So these negative perceptions were also challenged by the normal passing of time and younger generations and their move to more progressive opinions entering the picture, which is great. So, you know, the perceptions definitely were impacted by the AIDS crisis, but as time goes on, the opinions are always shifting to be more accepting no matter what. So, mm-hmm. in a 1989 poll, Gallup found an 11-point gap between those who said homosexual relations between consenting adults should be legal, which was 47%, and those who disagreed, 36%. And this was the same poll that a decade earlier was evenly split, so there's a gap forming which is good i just still can't even wrap my brain i mean i can wrap my brain around it because you know we also occupy a space that is politicized Mm -hmm. but like your life again is being reduced to a poll like i just like it is unfathomable but also we live it as well in a different way yes like what would it feel like you go to the polling place and on the ballot is like do you think Marina and Nick should be allowed to be married? I, it, it's just bizarre. It, like, what do you have to do with anything? I no. don't affect your life. Right? So all that said, I want us to just think about Robin or Will or, you know, all the, all the real life people who were living this as, as a teenager in a rural place like Indiana. So, you know, hate crimes were on the rise in major cities, which are known to be more liberal. So imagine the fear... Mm-hmm. Imagine that fear that an LGBT person in the Midwest in the 80s was feeling. Yeah, and I literally today just watched the scene of Robin and Steve in the bathroom stalls. And it doesn't hit what that took for Robin Yeah, without the context of all of this information, I think. Right, like it... To someone like Steve. Yes, right. Like it, it took her so much courage to be able to say that like like basically them facing death together in order to for her to feel comfortable saying that mm-hmm. yeah which again even so like marina said i don't think that, like knowing all of this that the scene really does capture all of all of the I don't, the baggage behind that decision yeah all right so we're gonna move on to the 90s through today So let's talk about our events and legislation. So in 1996, President Clinton signed the Defense of Marriage Act, which defined marriage as between a man and woman, and stated that no states were required to recognize a same-sex marriage that occurred in another state. William Clinton. Thanks, Bill. Okay. 
In October 1998, so this this point is going to be a little heavier, a 21-year-old college student named Matthew Shepard was brutally attacked and murdered in Laramie, Wyoming for being gay. His murder sparked national outrage and a major change in the way that the LGBT community and hate crimes were viewed. So just just a few points about this hate crime. His parents actually had to wear bulletproof vests and snipers were stationed on the roof of the church where his funeral was held. The funeral and following court cases were picketed by the known hate group Westboro Baptist Church. There they are. There they are. And I, I put in a visual guide for Marina, and we, sh- we should definitely post this one picture because it actually made me cry. A group of supporters showed up at Matthew's funeral and the sentencing for his murderers, which was being picketed by the hate group Westboro Baptist Church, and they showed up in these big, long, like, white gowns. They basically had big angel wings and they stationed themselves with the wings spread out so that the protesters were blocked and it's very moving. Wow. Yeah. And I won't get into the thick of the crime because it's extremely graphic and heavy, but if you do want to find out more, there is a 2002 HBO movie and a subsequent play called The Laramie Project. Our high school did this play in our sophomore year and it is very moving. I feel like I didn't understand at mm-hmm. that time i didn't either. when i when we saw it because i remember seeing it yeah right i remember going and seeing it and not really getting what it was about until after and like looking up the case and stuff right yeah and i just want to say i i mention matthew's case just because it does come up again later in in a legislation but obviously he is not even close to the only sexual orientation based hate crime that occurs in this time frame but i did want to mention his case because it it really was quite a public outcry it's also just so like devastating that it takes somebody dying like to almost be made an example of and that has a negative connotation but why did it have to come to that right why does it have to come to that for people to listen and do something about it Mm mm-hmm So in 2003, a Texas case goes to the Supreme Court, which ends up ruling that it is unconstitutional to make sodomy illegal. The act is is a mindfuck. In 2003, it is unconstitutional to make sodomy illegal. Yes. So they the the Supreme Court found that all the states that were ruling that sodomy is illegal was unconstitutional. Okay. Yeah. So the act is no longer federally punishable punishable by law, which is absolutely nuts that, yeah. 2003. 2003. No words for that. Okay. So as I mentioned, you know, Matthew Shepard's case does come up again. In 2009, in October 2009, the Matthew Shepard Act is passed. This act expands a 1969 federal hate crime law to include crimes committed as a result of a victim's gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, or disability. And the the Shepherds, Matthew's parents, were in attendance for its signing. In December 2010, the don't ask, don't tell policy in the U.S. military is repealed, which allows gays and lesbians to serve in the U.S. military openly. Notice I said gays and lesbians, not LGBT people. So we're still on this dual perception track here. Okay. Seems like it. And then big thing in June 2015, the Supreme Court declares same-sex marriage legal in all 50 states. Yay. Who remembers the day? I do. I do too. It was such a good day. I was at work 
and my friend Vicky was my boss. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and we had a great day at work celebrating. <laughs> I remember that yeah, day. It was a good day. Okay, so I'm going to stop at 2015 for now, and we're okay. going to talk about public perception and attitudes, and then we're going to talk about how things changed a little bit in 2016. So according to a 2014 study done by the UCLA Law School, public support for lesbians and gay men has doubled in the past three decades, more so than any other group surveyed over the same time period. While it is generally assumed that this shift is largely because younger supportive generations are replacing less supportive older ones, this analysis in fact shows that a broader cultural shift impacts people of all ages. In particular, since the mid-1990s, the positive impact on attitudes from increased LGBT visibility, from more LGBT people being out, the growing number of LGBT characters on television, and the national discussion of and policy advances toward marriage equality has appeared rapidly to increase support amongst people of all ages. Representation. It's so important. The study also showed that support for transgender people increased 40% between 2005 and 2011. That's huge. It is. And I just like, I feel like people who see and have seen themselves reflected back to them since they were born, Mm -hmm. like primarily white males, right? I feel like watching them recognize the importance of representation is also very... It's just like coming to the realization of how important it is to represent people who look like everybody and who live like everybody. I like to see people appreciate it. Yeah. Nick and I saw the Barbie movie this past week and it just kind of kind of reminds me of this a little bit because it's so important for those of us who have been represented for so long to make room and to make the space for other people to be represented. That's what I'm trying to say. Yes. Yes. It took me some time to get there. (laughs) (laughs) But no, you're so right. It's so important. And on the topic of representation and like seeing people in media and stuff, I actually do have some data about that later. So we will talk about it. Between 1978 and 2013, the perception that lesbians and gay men face a lot of discrimination went from 30% in 1978 to 68% in 2013. In this survey, it was also reported that 71% of the public believes that transgender people face a lot of discrimination. Okay, so this is the, the public understanding that this population faces discrimination. Right, like it's just people's perception that Got it. they're being discriminated against. I see, thank you. Yes. Support for LGB, LGB people LGB. Serving, yes, serving in the military shifted from about 50% in 1993 to about 70% in 2012. However, as of this survey in 2014, there was still no data on people's thoughts on transgender people serving in the military. My eyes at this fact cannot physically roll further back <laughs> into my head. If somebody is willing to step up and serve right? a country in that capacity, what the hell? Right? Does it matter? Don't know. That's the question. I'm I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it either. <laughs> so, someone else can <laughs> do it. I don't care who, but not me. <laughs> yeah, why does it matter? Don't if know. that is what they're willing to do for the entire country. Yeah, don't know. And then lastly, when same-sex marriage was federally legalized in 2015, of Americans were in support of the decision and 39% opposed. So the support was definitely 
shifting in the right direction i guess the math there is that there was a portion that just didn't yeah have an opinion okay yeah i think so okay so you may have guessed that the reason i stopped at 2016 is because we got a new president in 2016 and he shook things up quite a bit so we're gonna talk about this man's time in office so throughout not a nice man not a nice man mean man l can make the mean face at him mean man in in small truck yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) for sure mean man in a small truck is accurate Uh, okay so throughout his years in office trump put forth many targeted and discriminatory policies and just like general hateful rhetoric especially about the lgbt community so here's some examples In January 2017, the month that Trump got sworn in, all mentions of LGBT people and policies were completely wiped from the White House website. In March 2017, a bill called HB2 passed in North Carolina, forcing trans individuals to use the bathroom that corresponds with their sex assigned at birth. And I I wrote even for children, but let's be real, it's mostly about children. Yeah, and I also would, I don't know what the data is on this, and I'm sure we could find out where were gender neutral bathrooms at this point politically before this right i bet you people did not give a single shit about them before this and also breaking news all of us have gender neutral bathrooms in our houses i use it every day me too i share it it's wild it's i've never seen anything like it. actually that's like i use one bathroom nick uses (laughs) the other bathroom it's very strict around these parts yes In July 2017, Trump announced in a series of tweets that he would be banning transgender individuals from serving in the military entirely. So he banned them completely with a tweet. And then luckily in 2021, Joe Biden did end up repealing this decision. Okay. Uh, Yeah. And then in December 2017, it was reported that Trump's administration had completely banned the use of the following words. Transgender. Fetus vulnerable entitlement diversity evidence-based and science-based the implicate like these are all just they're words right they seem really just they're just words but they're really not just words the implication behind banning words such as (laughs) evidence-based right that essentially eliminates anything credible right right and it's very like Like you said, it seems like it's just banning words, but this is a slippery slope. This is a 1984-type slippery slope here. I was literally just going to say it feels... It's not doublethink. It's it's what the Ministry of Truth does in Mm -hmm. 1984, but it's almost like a... There is a preemptivity to this. So if and then think about what happens in 2020. Meanwhile, in 2017, you just banned science based. Right. Now in 2020, when there's a literal pandemic happening, people aren't allowed to write memos that include the words science-based or evidence-based. Donald Trump is like the most Orwellian Mm -hmm. president. I mean, maybe I'm just ignorant, but his behaviors and some of the things that he did and like demonstrated are straight out of 1984. Absolutely. Absolutely. In February 2018, the Department of Education announced that it will not be investigating reports of discrimination from transgender students. Sweep it under there. Yep. And then in June 2019, June, June 2019, he prohibits all U.S. embassies from publicly flying the pride flag. Why the hell does it fucking matter to you? Okay. So we know 
Don left office. Donnie T. Donnie T. Don the Con left office in 2020 slash 2021. I just want to point out, and I don't know if it was on purpose at all, but in Amanda's notes, not only does she call Donald Trump Donnie, but it's lowercase. <laughs> it is lowercase. And I would just like to also side note that when I was in grad school, which was right around the time he got elected, we had to write current events, like mm. type things every week. And every time his Sounds name... traumatizing. It was. And every time his name had to come up, I would literally write it in all lowercase <laughs> on purpose. And my professor never said anything about it. <laughs> I would also like to point out that in our notes, in our scene by scenes, we always capitalize the mind flare. So the mind flare is in all caps. Donald Trump, however... That's not even a proper noun. Nothing but respect for my president. <laughs> the mind flare. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, anyway. So he left office in 2020. Joe Biden came in in 2021. However, these attacks did not stop after Donnie left office. During his tenure, he appointed three highly controversial, unqualified, and hateful Supreme Court judges, making continuing to pass discriminatory bills much easier. Great. So... Unfortunately, 2021, as a result, became the worst year on record for anti-LGBT legislation by May 2021. As of May 2021, 17 anti-LGBTQ bills were enacted, including seven anti-trans sports bills and two anti-LGBTQ education bills. At the end of the year, there was a total of 149 proposed bills targeting transgender and non-binary individuals, mostly children. It feels like a bait and switch. Right. Like we were paralyzed by COVID and it was like all of this got, I don't want to use the term slipped, but it just feels like we were, our distraction was taken advantage of. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Like they okay. were like, look over here. Yes. Look over here. And yeah, yeah, yeah. now we're going to push a bunch of horrifying things. And I just want to say, I'm really sick of people claiming to like want to help the children and whatever while simultaneously taking away their rights to life-saving care. But sure, go off, I guess. Additionally, seven curriculum censorship or don't say gay bills passed, barring teachers in several states from even mentioning LGBTQ issues in their classroom. The key word in your previous statement is life-saving. Yes. And that is all. Yes, life-saving, literally life-saving. And on the note of the don't say gay bills in the classrooms, as a teacher in 2016, I showed a TED talk to my students in New Jersey, by the way, one of the most liberal states in the country, showed a TED talk to my students that was delivered by a non-binary person. And I got in trouble because apparently that is a talk they need to have with the health teacher, which by the way, the, to the TED talk had nothing to do with being non-binary. It was about identity. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, it happens here too. So yeah, all of this can feel grim, right? Like, it's a lot of doom and gloom coming from the White House. However, the Human Rights Campaign actually reported in early 2023 that in 2022, 91% of the anti-LGBTQ bills actually failed to become law. The State Equality Index is an index that ranks the 50 states based on their systemic response to social justice issues. And the four rankings are lowest to highest, High priority to achieve basic equality, which is <laughs> a wild title, building equality, solidifying equality, and working toward innovative equality. That's the highest one. So 23 states, unfortunately, still are in the high priority to achieve basic equality 
section. Two states are in building equality, five states were in solidifying equality, and 20 states, including Washington, D.C., were in the top category, including New Jersey. You know, there's a lot of places in this country that obviously need a lot of work, but there's a lot of places where a lot of good is being done, too. Yes, and I would just like to pose a question. Why is equality debatable? Excellent question. It's not, by the way, at least on this podcast. Okay, so let's wrap it up by talking about our current perceptions and attitudes as a society about LGBT people. So in a 2023 study conducted by the Human Rights Campaign, it was found that 91% of non-LGBTQ Americans agree that LGBTQ people should have the freedom to live their life and not be discriminated against, which is great and the bare minimum. We love that. And also incredibly skewed because the people who would participate right. in an HRC study. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. I wasn't going to, to try to keep it happier here, but we keep it real here on Starcourt. Sorry. <laughs> just felt like it made sense. No, it, it is. You're to- I had the same exact thought and I was like, I'm just not even going to mention that because it <laughs> makes it a little worse. But um, yeah, we keep it real here. Okay. Context. Yes. 73% of non-LGBTQ adults feel comfortable seeing LGBT people in TV shows and movies. So let's talk about that. We were talking about representation earlier. It matters, not only for people who see people like themselves in media, but non-LGBTQ adults who are exposed to the LGBT community in media are 30% more likely to feel familiar with LGBT people compared to those who have not been exposed. That's exactly what I was trying to articulate yeah. before. <laughs> so there is actual data that says that representation in media is beneficial for straight people too. Right. We love it. 75% of non-LGBT people said they would be comfortable with learning that a family member is gay, lesbian, or non-binary. And 66% they said they would be comfortable with a family member coming out as transgender. It's not so, high enough. It's not. Still definitely have work to do. But... We're definitely in a better place. Mm -hmm. And then finally, I thought this was really interesting. According to Gallup, adult members of Generation Z, those born between 1997 and 2004, are the most likely subgroup to identify as LGBT, with 19.7% doing so. The wow. rate, I know. The rate is 11.2% amongst millennials and 3.3% or less amongst older generations. In Gen Z, 13.1% say they are bisexual, 3.4% are gay, 2.2% are lesbian, and 1.9% are transgender. And each of those percentages is higher than it is for all other generations. Wow. And you know what? People of those older generations would be like, well, this wasn't a thing when I was young. Well, right. it wasn't a thing because people were terrified. Yes. and, and Not it, that it wasn't a thing. And it breaks my heart to think about all of the like older adults now who just never got to live their truth. And Great point. You know, maybe ended up dying never being who they were. So be who you are. And that kind of, I hate to, I, I can't say I hate to do this because that's what we do. But <laughs> you had mentioned, and I thought of it when you said it, but you had mentioned like it taking robin and steve facing death mm -hmm. for robin to reveal like her truth to steve and like it just makes me think i don't know if it's as deep as this but like would she she would have died with that she would have taken that secret to her grave yep yeah i'm gonna close this out with some support resources and things like that so 
if you're out there and you're struggling, we have some resources for you. But some closing thoughts. I definitely, of course, wanted to do this episode to educate, but also for us to think about our characters and if they were real teenagers in the 80s having to deal with all of this along with the regular growing pains of life, you know, if we're talking about real life. And then if mm-hmm. we're talking about Stranger Things, you know, the uh, the other stuff that they have to do. All with. that other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's a lot. So, of course, like I said, we have a long way to go. But it's also, you know, somewhat refreshing to see how things have shifted. It's definitely been a slow shift, but it's moving. So what can we do? First off, we can vote. Most of our listeners, according to our data, are millennials and Gen Z. So they are. please vote in every single election. Make sure you research and vote for candidates who support a future you want to see. And even local elections are very important to research mm-hmm. the candidates because many, many groups of not so nice people will work their way in through like school board elections and things like that in order to change policy without people noticing because we think those positions are, you know, anyone can do them, but you never know. So make yeah, sure it's you're, like you're researching. Compl- complacency you know don't let it get you another thing you can do is participate so show support at any lgbt events you can if you're a college student go to your on-campus pride events in your community make yourself known even as an ally if you're not part of the community that is okay and on that note use your privilege and your voice for our listeners in a position of privilege such as cisgender straight individuals speak up If you see something, stand up and say something. We have a duty to our LGBT friends to protect them when we are able. And not just our LGBT friends, but all of our friends in marginalized communities. Help them out. You know, use your voice. And that being said, also, push for change where you can. If you do have a position of power at work, at school, or in your community, and you see something unfair, step in and try your best to create change. So, for example, if you go to college and there's no gender-inclusive housing at your university... Talk to somebody about it. Write a proposal. You never know. So true. Use your platform. Use your platform. And finally, as I mentioned earlier, I just wanted to talk about some of the resources that we're going to have linked in the episode description. So first we have the Trevor Project. You probably have heard of this organization, but they provide counseling and other support services to LGBT youth who are struggling. And then I'm going to post a link from GLAAD, G-L-A-A-D, which is the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. They're an organization who also provides support to LGBT individuals, and they have an awesome list of resources on their website, many specifically for transgender individuals as well. So that is our LGBT history. That was beautiful. Thank you. I hope we all learned something. And, you know, it was definitely a very heavy episode, but I think a very necessary one. Agreed. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening. All of my sources for this episode are going to be linked in the episode description, and there are a ton. So if Beautiful. you want to do some more reading, all those links are going to be there for you. Lots of interesting archived articles from the 80s, too, that I Ooh. was able to read. So really fascinating stuff. Anyway, have a great week. Love it. Till next time, everybody. Stay, Stay strange. Strange. Why are you here today? Darling, I want my gay rights now. I think it's about time the gay brothers and sisters got their rights, and especially the women. To keep in touch and stay informed, join us on our StarCourt Study Hall Discord server and follow us on Instagram at StarCourt Study Hall.